Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome back. Um, In our last episode, Scott, Ron, Samantha, and myself, we were talking about the historic steps that have led us to the current healthcare system that we have today and highlighting some of the, you know, some of the outcomes that are less than optimal uh, excess utilization, people using way more services than they probably need to, and sort of being incented to do that lack of coordination of care, a whole bunch of other different things that have sort of led to this, um, you know, excessive cost for services and maybe not the right services and or maybe too many services. So this prompts the question then, you know, in spite of all the things that we, we sort of highlighted and said, hey, we're at this kind of unsustainable place for a healthcare system. The question is, what would you do differently if you could wave your magic wand and you could create this great healthcare system? What would that look like? Or at least what components would be there? So I'm going to throw that to the group and, and see what you think. So um, Scott, let, jump in and Ron and Samantha, as you will. But I think it'd be interesting thinking about what kind of components would, would help to resolve some of these issues that we talked about. Yeah. And I, I'll mention to anybody who's listening right now, if they can hear a little baby crying on the other side of my wall, uh, I'm home with a sick uh, seven month old today. But um, if I could change one aspect about the way the American healthcare system operates, it's just the way that we what, what do we it would be. What do we classify as the American healthcare system? Um, you know, more often than not, it means, you know, what do you do when you actually are at the point of care and you need treatment and, you know, it's access to doctors and prescription drugs and the things that we, we tend to think about when we need help. But I think that if I could change one thing, it would be including a very serious conversation about the, 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 the young development, the, the younger developmental issues that, that set people on a track for a life of, of healthy living. And um, before we hit record, on this session, I had pulled up my my elementary, my old elementary school's lunch menu uh, and read through what was being served at the elementary school. And it was pizza bites and, and mozzarella sticks and cheesesteak Fridays because we're outside Philadelphia. Um, it's It wasn't exactly a master class in healthy eating. So if I think about a kid who sent to school at, at an elementary school age, whose family doesn't have time to prepare meals for them, um, perhaps they're on a meal plan through the public school where they have to access those meals, it it seems like it's a very challenging endeavor to select something healthy to eat at lunch and that there are very unhealthy options that would be tempting to a young mind uh, to indulge in potentially every day. And if you think about the, 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 the childhood obesity epidemic that's confronting us right now and what that could potentially mean over the next generation for stress on the American healthcare system, this conversation about what do we expose our kids to in the context of public school, you know, that should be included in a comprehensive conversation about the American healthcare system. 
system because it, it sets individuals on a course. Similarly, phys- physical education at a young age, things like um, nutritional education, uh, which was always a, a kind of on the side of the desk conversation when I was growing up in school. It, it was something that was addressed, but um, we, you know, we were taught the food pyramid, which many people know now is, 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 is pretty, pretty incorrect in, 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 when it comes to evaluating how you should structure your diet. But that should be really a core aspect of, of educating young, young minds and giving them the skills that when they graduate from high school to, to enter adulthood, understanding core concepts around nutrition, how to eat healthily, physical education would be really important, how to maintain a lifestyle of, of fitness. But then beyond that, things like reading level and making sure that individuals have the capacity to read at a, at a proficient level when they enter the world, um, because that's a major predictor of your f- future earning capacity. And your future earning capacity is a major predictor of your future health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, things like financial literacy uh, should be part of a healthcare conversation. Financial related stress, taking on too much debt, buying a house you can't afford, falling into mountains of credit card debt are tied directly to stress related chronic conditions that develop over time if you're, if you, if you don't know how to enter adulthood and, and, and be able to manage money. Things like uh, uh, teaching people about the importance of, of uh, 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 really engaging with uh, your community and having that sense of purpose. These are not system, healthcare system related topics that are ever tied to what we tend to think about doctors, prescription drugs, hospitals, insurance. But we know that these years of development set people on a course that's going to last a lifetime. And if we were if we were investing in that development in a very intentional fa- fashion, knowing that it's really about the vitality and health of our entire population, I think you could come up with some interesting ideas to address some very significant health issues that don't cost a whole lot of money. Um, you know, so, I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there it. with you because I was going to say um, the thing that I would add on or that I would, um, I totally concur we spend a lot of time teaching a lot of things to our the our youth but we don't teach them how to live well we don't teach them best practices of well-being we don't we don't help like when i was in school you everyone doesn't matter who you were, 100% of students had to learn how to cook. You had to learn how to sew on a button, like basic activities of daily living. You had to learn how to balance a checkbook. You had to, I mean, there were basic things that you were taught, like in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, right? Um, those got stripped out of the school. So I, I, I agree with you. I think people are, uh, yeah, many of the young people are not equipped in these basic daily activities that could, and I would add to it from the healthcare standpoint that those should be like, that should be part of the required curriculum. You hit the nail on the head with credit card debt. How does that work? How do loans work? When would you do that? Health and kind of well-being of, you know, not just, you know, fitness, definitely, and also financial, all of those come into play. But when it comes to planning, how are you going to prepare for if you have some sort of catastrophic illness, something you haven't planned for? How does that work? What are my options to finance it? Now, it, it there's a difference between healthcare and health insurance, and health insurance is a financing mechanism. And that's been sort of 
skewed very strangely over the past, you know, 15 or 20 years. People can't make any decisions. Don't knows how how anything costs. I can be a consumer on everything except healthcare because I don't get it, right? But um, I, uh, so that too, how do I prepare for things for the future? How do I save money? How do I, all of those things should be part of what, how we equip people coming in to be the next adults and the next leaders. And we do a terrible job at that. Yeah, just, and you're right. I think that would make a huge, huge impact. Just, yeah. just one final note. I mean, what, what I love about the conversation about early education and, and, and kids really starting as, as kids, then get setting, setting them up with these life skills. I know the class used to be called home economics and then became uh, at the euphemism or the, the PC term that was used where I went to school was uh, uh, a family and consumer sciences was the term they used for that where I, le- I learned how to sew. I learned how to, I learned how to yeah. cook. I, I learned uh, responsible babysitting. It was a great class, but these early yeah. development, these early, the solutions um, that are, that are right for a community are right for that community. And it gives a community a chance to talk about what can we do locally to get people set on the right path. But this also trans- translates to businesses. I mean, businesses, when we enter, when we leave school and we go to work for companies, businesses, that's where we spend, most of us spend our daylight hours, right? So the ability to take some of these concepts and transfer them into the business is similar to what we do with wellness programs. You know, so yeah. so having a more expanded definition of, of, of what does our healthcare system look like and what supports the healthcare system and 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 this I wish was more uh, a more front and center conversation. Well, yeah, and I think that that's a big thing. And and then now then you have to connect. So, so now we're talking about the individual people, but now what about you've got all the doctors, the hospitals, the insurance companies, all of those things. I know, Ron, you're going to go there. Well, no, I, actually, I was going to make two comments that Scott uh, of interest that hit on two of the points you made. First of all, I was talking to a uh, he was the head of a of the clinics for a large corporation of about six thousand people, and he had two or three medical clinics. And I said, if if there was one thing you could change that you think would have the most impact on uh, the health of your people, what would it be? And he said, wait. And he said, if you think of all the medical conditions associated with excess weight. You've got diabetes, you've got high blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, weight back problems, which is just prevalent among a lot of people, joints and things like that. He said it all comes back to that one condition first, generally. And uh, on, on the other hand, as you look at the menus, you know, I also asked a physician one time about what kind of food should you eat? And he said, basically, if it tastes good, it's not good for you. <laughs> What? I would disagree. I mean, watermelon, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I think he was trying to make make a point. Yeah, right, yeah. The second thing that I would bring up about this well-being issue, uh, when we used to look at the data, there, there was a large component of utilization that we classified as consumption of the worried well. Mm-hmm. And, and people who don't feel good and stuff. And it's probably all associated, not, not with clinical mental illness, but, but uh, mental issues that you seek out care and, and so forth. And if those things didn't exist, I think you'd also see some improvement. But, you know, my, my ideas are much more, uh, less, less uh, cerebral than uh, Scott and much more tactical. But, but I think those are good points about, wellness and and just picking one condition would help a lot. 
So Ron, what's, what's the tactical recommendation? I'm, 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 I'm hanging on here. I, I want to hear. <laughs> well, so it, it's the magic wand theory. If, if I could wave it. And so we say, you know, we've talked about these things that what are the problems? They're fee for service. Um, you know, they're fractured care networks that don't cord anything. They're margin oriented uh, pharmacy benefit managers that really don't have the primary interest at the consumer level. Um, you've got uh, consolidation of providers, which is the sur surrogate in their minds for innovation. So it, so it seems to me that it all starts with a primary care physician. In other words, how do we establish the mindsets that you all just talked about? And we really provide the clinical care to individuals. But at the same time, when people do need care, that we, uh, we administer it in ways that address the conflicts of things like fever service and, and eat which kill, those kinds of things. So, yeah. so what I would say is I would start by using new technology and I'd start with telemedicine and people I know are concerned about violating the current relationship somebody might have with their primary care physician, but that primary care physician very likely is still referring to a fractured provider system. So I think what I would do is establish the telemedicine individual and have them use telemedicine and contact and outreach to establish a better relationship with the individual than the current system allows for their primary care physician to have with them because of time constraints and that kind of stuff. And then I would probably define a very narrow referral network who uh, aren't driven by fee for service. Right. And I think historically we've talked about Kaiser and things like that and the closed networks. We've seen scenarios in businesses where if you get that capture rate up, through primary care physicians who have consistent objectives with the company and the people to produce efficient outcomes. We talked about that 30% improvement and just duplicate services and everything like that. The, the final thing I tack onto that is I would do a consumer oriented pharmacy benefit management program. And so I conceive of somebody like an Amazon who's purely interested in making sure the individuals receiving the best value for their drugs and not worried about who else has got their finger in that time. So, so it's not easy, but, but I'm working now with groups trying to figure out if we can't put this together. In fact, meeting tomorrow to try to at least uh, recommend that they've got 30% of their people that aren't, that are getting their uh, primary care checkup each year. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like kind of having that health advocate, someone out there to kind of help you navigate. So I, I think what you said in that, you know, having a difference between healthcare is kind of like what Scott's saying, this more holistic approach to trying to be overall healthy, maybe it's well-being, you know, physical and then financial and then community, but then also having something of health insurance for those catastrophic events that you can't, you know, prevent. Like if you get cancer or you've broken your leg or something like that. These things that are no way of how your past actions would have impacted you to have this going forward. But I think, you know, just from a consumerism perspective, you go into the doctor, the hospital, and you're 
most of the time, if it's an emergency, you're so flustered that you're just, I don't even know what's, you know, the best approach for me. So maybe having someone who can be that kind of voice of reason or to help advocate, you know, on my best interests outside of someone who's getting paid, you know, would be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Sammy, bring up a really good point. So there are behaviors that absolutely, um, that absolutely um, we have control over. My dad always said, when somebody said, oh, you know, do this, you'll live longer. No, you won't. You are predestined to live a certain amount of time. You can shorten it, but you can't lengthen it. And so I always loved that because it really gives you a very different perspective. So my behaviors, yes, but there are, there are people who need help who their behaviors are not what the issue is, right? So case in point, my own daughter, right? Totally healthy, very physically fit, ran seven miles a day, ate perfectly, did everything right and got cancer anyway when she was, when she was 22 years old, right? So because it was genetic, it was a genetic thing. There's nothing she could have done differently. But I will say, I firmly believe that because she was so healthy, that she was probably able to weather it better than she could have otherwise. That's so, that's the point. Yeah, the point yeah. the point is 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 that right. there are certainly conditions that are yep. that that you cannot avoid with 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 uh, uh, right. you know diet and exercise and and, and generally living a, a healthy lifestyle. And our systems set up fairly well to handle those outliers, right? To handle yeah. those situations that are that are rare, but anybody benefits from entering that situation as healthy as humanly possible. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and it's healthy, both of body and mind. So, exactly. You know, you guys all touched on that and it is very significant um, uh, how much, you know, there are people who have nobody to talk to. There are people who are alone. There are people who have no support systems. There are people who just don't have so many people who love them every day and they feel accepted. And that has a huge impact on how well you weather anything, physical, mental, whatever, all of those things combined. And I feel like, Sam, I really liked what you said about where is this support system? And Ron, coming back to what you're talking about, I, I just feel like we've made everything so complicated and pushed everybody so far away that there aren't those relationships anymore. I mean, if you go back to before all of this, this huge spider web of how the <laughs> system works and, you know, which really isn't patient-centered. We heard that from Dr. Hill, right, when we spoke uh, last month or back in June. Um, and if you got back to just the people you have relationships with who care about you and your well-being and the whole thing, uh, you know, all of you, not just, oh, I see you for five minutes, but you're my patient for life, right? And so how do we make this the best thing? And and you have just small numbers of people involved in that and you get back to basics. I feel like we've just gotten so far away from the actual human element. And I think that's part of the part of the exacerbation of the whole issue. You know, Ned, here's a good point about the fragmented healthcare system. So we have a friend got shot and they got sick and they went to the emergency room the other day. And the husband is had some heart issues in the past. But so he's worried about COVID, but they've all gotten their shots. The emergency room told him, go back home. 
the wife gets sequestered for two weeks, he can't get near because he's at risk of getting this Delta variant. He then called the individual who is his primary care relationship, who said the odds that you have to be that severe. I mean, he was worried sick. And, and he said, look, first of all, the test may be 40 percent right, 60 percent wrong. Number two, you've been uh, vaccinated. So, so there's a good example of where they just processed her and did and identified the covid virus but didn't care about the well-being part of what that family had to deal with when they left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, one of the, the North stars that I try to use when I work with my clients is what, what is the point of all of this, mm-hmm. right? Like what is, what is the point of everything that we, that we're trying to do? And I, I like to think it's, we're trying to set up as many people as humanly possible to die a sudden death in overtime. And I, I, I didn't come up with that line. I heard that line from a mentor of mine. He said, the point of all of this is to, is to put people in a position to die a sudden death in overtime. And I, I love that saying because it makes a lot of sense to me, right? Um, the point of, of, of employers being involved and, 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 and employers caring about the, the health and well-being of their employees is, A, you know, to benefit the company, ret- talent retention, productivity, culture, um, all really important. But the em- employers, from a system perspective, perspective play a huge role in figuring out what type of risk does Medicare inherit. You know, when we all move to Medicare or we move to a government payer program, it's going to be a reflection on on what was the risk profile of that population throughout their working years. And and that the, and and, and their, their, the risk profile many times is a reflection of what was the risk profile as children and what did we grow into as adults and when we were working. But the whole point of the mission is 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 if we can compress that morbidity, we're all going to have a chronic condition at some point of our life in our lives if everything goes according to plan. Whether it's arthritis, whether it's you know uh, high, uh, uh, heart disease or what have you. We just want it to be as late as humanly possible in our life so we can have as many good years as humanly possible and die that sudden death in overtime. Mm-hmm. But it's when you start thinking about it is, it, you know, it, 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 we need to have this con- continuity between young, young childhood development, the working age, and then, and then in the Medicare. And when you start thinking about the things that we deal with as, as working adults that become extraordinarily stressful and put a lot of stress on our well-being, it's things like financial insecurity. It's things like caring for a sick family member. Uh, that, that there is nothing quite like being a caregiver for, for, for a family member, especially a parent or, 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 um, a child, you know, caring for, for a sick parent, um, caring for a sick child, of course, but, but, you know, trying to work and go, go to work every day while you are a primary caregiver is very challenging. Um, things like worrying about your retirement, where I have enough money to be able to retire with dignity is something we spend a lot of time. And what I love about One Digital is that we don't have a separate conversation about retiring with dignity and healthcare, right? We we have we we tie those together because your projected health outcomes can be influenced by are you stressed out day to day? Am I ever going to be able to stop working? Right. You know, and yeah. and and there's this great continuity. So I say all this because I wish. I wish we would stop going through hospitals and the government 
to solve a lot of these problems when the employer wields so much influence over, over the daily experience of individuals. I just wish government would support businesses, maybe give them additional tax incentives to engage more programs to support their employees and reward those companies that really do invest in the day-to-day vitality of their employees um, and, and stop trying to solve it by putting posters up in the town square or, or, or expecting a doctor that has a caseload of 150 patients a day to, to have time to make community outreach and make sure people are doing right. I, I, I just think that the, the, it, there's so much opportunity on the horizon with what we can accomplish uh, with, with our employer clients. Yeah, Scott, those are such good points because we're, we're looking for outcomes that the systems don't lead to. Right. So the systems in play do not, those cannot possibly be the outcomes. We want outcomes that aren't possible with the, the how the system is today. And, and I think you're right. I mean, so you start with the places where everybody is, right? Where is everyone? School, <laughs> work, right? And we just build on those. And then the service communities support those. So physicians, hospitals, instead of incenting differently outside of those. Yeah. Ron, you're going to say something. Well, if we think about what we're saying, there's, there's one nucleus in which all of this has to occur and can occur, and that is the business. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here, as Scott was talking about, uh, what other vendor does a business have that they're completely <laughs> in the control of the vendor versus the other way around. And so, so business has the power to make these changes with the individual. I think they have the power to demand the changes in the healthcare system where things are broken. And I, I, I think that's happening a little bit. I mean, I, you know, we, we've gone through a period where I guess we've, we've born a nation of obesity. Right. And so now it's one of those things that I don't go to fast food chains because I'm afraid somebody will see me there. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so, yeah, but think about their engaging in healthier meal menus and things like that. And that's the business. And those are the kind of things I think that businesses at some point as a whole have, have got to overcome some of this monopolistic behavior of the healthcare system. Yeah, I, I, well, and you think about some of the inroads there too. I mean, you never used to have like calorie or nutritional content on any of that food before. So, I mean, there are some inroads, but it it has to start with the education of the person, right? To make good decisions, whether it's about nutrition, whether and what you're putting in your body, um, what you're subjecting yourself to, financial decisions you're making, all about making good choices. And I don't think we spend enough time helping people do that. We've spent all of our time building up systems around people who make bad choices. Well, that's 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 an excellent point, and this is where this is where sometimes I struggle to visualize this because it's it, it, ultimately a lot of the variables that um, go to benefiting your outcomes uh, long term as when it comes to avoidable chronic chronic conditions, at least avoidable at young younger ages, um, are things like what you described your daughter doing, right? But your daughter must have some form of community support, some form of of, of uh, access to be able to eat healthily. Uh, you know, she might have a safe place to work out, uh, uh, to, to run or whatever it may be. Um, 
ultimately it boils down to the individual to avail themselves of these solutions, but we can do a much better job of making that easier for people to do the building an ecosystem that, that encourages that type of behavior. Look, understanding that we're, that we're looking at a huge population of people and how do we just, how do we, how do we direct as make the, make the healthy choice easier for the greatest number of people possible, understanding that not everybody that, you know, that this isn't going to be for everyone, but, uh, but, but making it easy because we do encounter in our employee populations that we work with individuals that don't have access to a safe place to recreate, that don't have time to cook because they're, they're either taking care of a parent or childcare or, or, uh, um, uh, you know, or or perhaps they uh, 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 they're financially strapped. They think it's they don't know how to cook. You know, there are all these variables that impact that daily thing. That when we become aware of it, we can think of ways to make it maybe a little bit easier for that individual to engage those healthy activities through thoughtful benefit designs and, and worksite programs. Um, that, that can incentivize that, that positive behavior. You know, you think about things like health, uh, like a health advocacy service where you're, where you're assisting with um, scheduling appointments for a parent who needs medical care, or you think about cooking classes on the job site, or now we even have farm share programs. We have on-site nutrition counseling that's included. Um, we have a lot of employers that are interested in on-site gym and gym memberships and subsidizing those and encouraging people to use it. You know, it's really just about knowing what your employees are dealing with and getting creative with how to think about ways to just make it a little bit easier. So well, another side of that, I think, Scott, is is a lot of we've got to overcome the idea of what's my right versus what can I do for the common good of, of all. And I think we focus too much on what my rights are sometimes. And so I don't have to do this or I don't have to do that. We don't recognize uh, the contribution it makes to a bad outcome for the whole system. Awesome. So um, what did we solve? I, don't <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting because I think, you know, like what's going on is like, you know, going against like, why does it cost so much or who's going to pay for it? So we're just looking at the end result to really just money as opposed to we should be looking at why does it cost so much or what can we do to kind of avoid getting to this point. But we're always just looking at the end result, not the actual factors that got us to this result. Yep. Great way to summarize it. That is so insane. Well, coming into this conversation, you know, I, again, focused on the tactical execution of this, but I, but I leave this discussion with the idea that, that we start with a broader definition of what we're trying to accomplish. And then within that, we, we, we take the two prong approach that there's the tactical things that uh, to, you know, eliminate the impediments in the system. But this is also idea of what are we trying to accomplish? That's broader than we historically uh, define it. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody. This was, this was good. Oh my gosh. Um, Lots to think about. And, um, Hopefully a lot for the listeners to think about too, but it does start with each each and every person and being, you know, educating yourself, understanding what's out there. Um, but I think the industry as a whole can do a better job with, with helping with that. But there are a lot of resources. I think just people don't know where to find them and mm-hmm. maybe just have done what they've always done and they keep going along and getting along. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So it's kind of creating that, uh, 
that help people to to the desire to 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 improve or or to maybe shape some of their outcomes and not be you know just allow things to just happen happen you know without any sort of intervention so thanks everybody um We'll be back next time and talk more about uh, this wonderful healthcare system and some of the things that we can do moving forward. Have a great day. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.